So I want to thank everybody for coming to learn uh, with us tonight. And, um, and we'll jump right into it. This is the third shear in our exploration of uh, Midos. And in last week's shear, we learned that our goal is to emulate God. And through this, we attain holiness both individually and collectively. Now, once we understand that charge from God, it's important to delve into the specifics and practical ways in which we orient our entire being to this goal, in which we perfect our mythos. We've been tossing that around a lot. Excuse me, but it's worth, it's worth trying to figure out how does this manifest in, in practical life? And, and, and how do we give us? How do we give ideas? How do we give uh, pointers for attaining this goal, this rather lofty goal? Maimonides, the Rambam, famously described an overarching philosophy of life that helps guide us on this path and provides the blueprint for how to modify our behavior and refine our character to this end. And this path is called famously the golden road. And it's one of conscious moderation in nearly all activities and traits and modulation as well, because it involves going back and forth between extremes and things that are not extreme. It's a constant reassessment and a constant calibrating of our midos in order to find that golden road, in order to find that shvil hazahav that the Rambam is talking about. Maimonides even goes so far as to say that this approach includes physical activities as well. Healthy living means a healthy soul. The Rambam addresses our eating, the Rambam addresses our sexual lives, the Rambam addresses uh, everything that has to do with physicality, as well as the spiritual and uh, that which is connected to midot as well. In the introduction to his commentary on Pirkei Avos, uh, which is called Shmona Prakim, Maimonides outlines some core elements of his approach, and it's at the beginning of chapters four and five. And uh, later, we're going to see at the end of the year, the Rambam calls this in the Mishnah Torah and the Marnevuchim, the Shvil Azav, the Golden Bath. So let's jump right into it. And let's take a look at our sources. So the first source is from Shmona Prakim of the Rambam, very uh, important and crucial sefer, I might add. Um, and he starts like this: Hamasim Atovim, Hamasim Ashavim. What are good deeds? So these are deeds that are done with equilibrium. These are deeds that are done with, with a sense of equanimity and, uh, and, and, and dealing with the tension between two extremes. That is found between the two extremes, and both extremes are bad. Extremes are no good. And truth be told, chasidim, especially pious people, were not complacent with their character traits being simply on the middle road or finding some, uh, some golden path. But they would sometimes err on the side of excess or lack as a kind of extra protection. So when I said that analyzing and keeping stock of our character traits in order to constantly improve them, so while we do have this middle path, this golden path that we want to follow, we understand that in real life it involves a lot of calibration. Sometimes the Rambam says a person has natural proclivities and natural inclinations one way or another, and uh, that person might find themselves uh, already far more towards the Shvil Hazav than somebody that naturally is deficient in those areas. So it involves a deeply individual way of assessing our deeds, assessing our character traits and assessing our behaviors and finding that which works for us and that, that allows us to obtain these, these levels of perfection in character. 
Uh, and he says that people would err on the side of caution. Sometimes they would have more of a particular trait, and sometimes they would have less of a particular trait. And all of this is al derech hasig v'hashmira. And all of this is on the path of protection, of, of guarding and guiding themselves so as not to fail or to find themselves, unfortunately, in some extreme of behavior that would be uh, deleterious and have negative effects on themselves and on others. The Rambam continues. V'zos tmima. And our perfect Torah completes us in this process. As we, as we showed, not only does it give us the charge and tells us what to do, but it also is the pathway, not just through Shmirat HaMitzvot, but through the Torah's ethics and the Torah's morality and that which the Nevi'im communicated to us, the Torah Tmima, the perfect Torah, is Mishalem Esosanu. It perfects us, as those who knew the Torah, as those who know the Torah in its deepest ways, were able to testify. And here the Rambam quotes from David HaMelech. And he says the famous Pasuk, Torah Hashem Tamima Meshiva Snafesh. The law of the Lord is perfect, it restores the soul. Eidus Hashem Neemana Machkimas Pesi. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes wise the simple. Now, I want to finish this particular statement and, and unpack that for a moment. The Torah doesn't really explain, or David Melch doesn't explain, what does that mean, Meshiva Snafesh? that Hashem's perfect Torah restores our soul. What does it mean that Eidus Hashem ne'emana machkimas pesi, that it makes us, it makes the simple wise. The Rambam says that when the Torah has its proper effect, when we accept the perfection of the Torah to perfect ourselves, what that means is to teach us to follow the golden road, to teach us to follow that beautiful mean of behavior between those two extremes. Now, Meshivas Nefesh, the restoring of the soul, uh, I think that we find ourselves oftentimes lacking. I think every individual that's honest with themselves will find themselves either doing a certain behavior uh, to excess or that they're lacking in a certain character trait. Maybe we want to be uh, more humble. Maybe we want to be less angry. Maybe we want to be happier. Maybe we want to be more patient. And sometimes people have too much patience, and that's also not good. And sometimes people have too little patience, and that's also not good. So to find that middle path is exactly what the Torah Tmima does. It's Meshivas Nefesh. It restores our soul to its pristine state. And that's based on what we said in the beginning from the altar of Slabadka, that man is placed here and our soul is perfect. It's Nechts of Mimala. It's a part of God from above. And this world and, the, and, and its complications... So all the complications that we could do without uh, cause us to err sometimes to the extreme. So whenever we're looking to return ourselves back to the proper place, so we find in the Torah that the Torah is meishiv nefesh, it restores our soul. And certainly anybody that's run to the Torah, run to Tehillim, or run to uh, spirituality, Jewish spirituality, in their time of distress knows exactly what we're talking about when we say the Torah is is, is mashivas nefesh. Now, what does that mean, machkimas pesi? I think that we all have a little bit of uh, sim- a simplicity, um, that we want the world to be simple. We want our relationship with ourselves and others to be simple. And, uh, and we want to go in a kind of, um, it's difficult. It's difficult to constantly weigh our activities, to constantly be mindful of what we're thinking and saying and doing. And that's extremely difficult. But if we do that work, so we could take a simple person like me and make them wise, and make them deliberate, and make them live mindfully and in a deliberate way that can elevate them to the highest possible levels. And the Ramam says that path, the secret, the key to unlocking that, 
this uh, golden road to unlimited devotion, so that's to be found in the Derech Sai. That's to be found in this golden road. Continues the Rambam. Now, all of this means that we have to conduct ourselves with wisdom. Now, by learning and by coming to these shirim, hopefully what we're able to do is we're able to communicate using these sources, Torah wisdom, in order to give us some sort of a direction. To try this and to do this without any sort of a guidebook is going to amount, I think, to failure. It's very difficult to do so without a teacher. Now, some people find this in secular wisdom. Uh, you know, for example, my, myself, you know, I'm reading, um, I'm going to mispronounce his name, um, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk, uh, Thich, Thich Nhat Ting. I mispronounce his name. So I, I'm reading his, uh, his little collected book of aphorisms and sayings, and I'm finding in there tremendous wisdom with how to deal with certain things. And certain people might find this in Stoic philosophy or Aristotelian philosophy, or they might find it in popular self-help. But Torah wisdom and the perfect wisdom of Torah allows us to subjugate our natural selves Right, we might be naturally more angry, but the more we learn about how we need, about how how terrible anger is, about what it does to us, and how it how it ruins our life to live an angry life, and by and by using and marshalling Torah sources to help us in that fight, so we find teachers, and we find a teacher in the Rambam over here, and we subjugate ourselves to wisdom. We put our seichel, we put our logic and our faculties of reason and understanding. We, we place that with primacy over our natural instincts. That is the work, and that is extraordinarily difficult. And we will fail many, many, many times, in a given day even. But the joy is, is that we're able to come back and to work on it again and again, constantly going back to our own Torah, to the Torah Tamima, to be of our nefesh, to restore our soul, and to be mach kimpesi, and to give us wisdom when we lack it in particular areas. As we explained in the chapter before this. So what's the goal? What's the thing that we place before us all the time? Now we read the Psukim already in last week's shir. And the goal is of course to attach ourselves to God. But the Rambam restates it over here. He says, well the goal is actually something a little bit more tangible. Vihi we constantly find ourselves friends in this world asking, why does God do this? Or, or how can I speak to God properly during tefillah? Or how do I relate myself to a world that seems sometimes godless, God forbid, with perfecting ourselves, with this constant work on our character traits, we're able to bring ourselves eventually to a place on this sulama rachim, on this ladder, to a place where we can obtain knowledge of God that we could attain godliness, an understanding, an appreciation, a grasp of godliness. The Baal Shem Tov famously said that, that that could happen in a moment. That could happen in, in a single moment. Rav, Rav Hillel Zeitlin dwells upon this in one of his essays, in Aleph Beis Shel Yadus, and says that, he quotes from the Baal Shem Tov, he says, this could be a lifetime of work, and it could also happen in, in, in dark lightning, in, in the dark night of the, in, in, in lightning in the dark night of the soul that illuminates everything for us and, and it all becomes clear and it all becomes aligned what we need to do and how to understand God. And when we get those moments, they're moments of profound joy and understanding and wisdom that we could actually carry with us. That, that Barak, Bishon Laila, that lightning on the dark night is something that we carry with us 
at times when we don't feel the presence of God, at times we feel that the hasag of Hashem Yisbarach obtaining or attaining godliness is so, so distant from us and we're so broken that we're unable to do so. And everybody is able to understand and appreciate godly, godliness uh, according to their own abilities. So a person must orient all of their activities, their movement, even their rest, even when we're resting, even when we're sleeping, to live life in a purposeful way that everything we do, everything that we say, everything that we think even, could be oriented in this direction. And it's attainable, right? There's people living amongst us today that, that actually live like this. There's Jews that live with a constant God consciousness, with a constant consciousness and mindfulness of their behavior, that they're not masiach das, that they don't de- desist from thinking, cognating about God for a single moment. Now, Rav Yaakov Moshe Harlap, who lived, was born in 1882, and lived to 1951, he was one of the main Talmidim, the three main Talmidim of, of Cook. Uh, one could argue you have his son, Rav Tzvi Yehuda, who we're going to see shortly, and you have the Nazir, Rav David Cohen, and then you also have Rav Chalap. Rav Chalap was the rabbi of the Sharei Chesed neighborhood and authored uh, a number of volumes. Some are collected from, from his writings and some are collected from uh, recordings and uh, notes taken by Talmidim, and they're called Mei Marom. The very first volume in Mei Marom is uh, a commentary on Shmona Prakim. And interestingly enough, the title, the subtitle that Rav Charlap gives to this particular parak, parak Dalin in Shmona Prakim, he calls it How to Heal the Soul. That's what, this, that's what this chapter and the excerpt that we just read is talking about. How do we heal our soul? And he writes that Maimonides is prescribing for us what is the very definition of what we mean when we say yosher. Right? We, call it, we call Hashem Tzadik V'yasher Hu, as we saw last week in the Minchas Chinuch. Tzadik V'yasher. And that's something we want to be yasher. We want to adopt a, a, a way of life that is upright. A mesilas yasharim. The path of the upright. And yosher, uprightness. And we know that if a person is walking along a certain path, right? whether it's the golden road or the, the derech Hashem, laleches b'chod rachav that we talked about last week, so doing so in an upright fashion is the best way to walk down that road. You should also try and stay in the middle of the path as well. Rav Chalap goes on to quote Rav Chaim Vital in his Shari Kedusha, we saw in the first year, in the seventh gate, in Sharuach HaKodesh, and gives a rather incredible description of what this process might feel like. A person who is conscious and mindful of their activities at all times, what might that feel like? What's the phenomenology of a person that goes through that process and it's stunning. I, 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 I translate here into English. He says, for all these reasons, right, for what we're talking about above, to attain and understand and to know God, it is proper to work on purifying our imaginations and our holy creativity. We have to open ourselves up to the possibility even to imagine ourselves as tzaddikim and tzadkaniyot to imagine ourselves as righteous individuals, what it might look like, that seer, that dimyon of what it might look like if we lived life like this, as if we were in close proximity to God at all times and attached to God's light, a piece of God, so to speak. He writes, take a look in the seventh of Chaim Vital's eight gates where he writes, it is fitting for a person to constantly focus and conceive of themselves as if they are a precinct and resting place for absolute holy divinity. 
so that in this way they might be able to draw all worlds together and have full intention of being a seed of holiness in this world. We say that God, that, that Yisrael, right, that, that we are Yashar El, that we are directly to God, and this is a notion that we are, that each, each Jewish person, each Jewish soul that operates in this world is a chariot for godliness, is a chariot for holiness and disseminates that and spreads that with their good deeds and their Torah learning and their tefillah in this world. This is what we're charged with. This is the purpose of life if the Torah is, is followed, if it's understood, is to be a seat of holiness in this world, which so often seems so impure. And this is the secret of Bechol Darcha to know God in all your ways. Like the Rambam said, in your movement and even when you're resting, in your character traits and your spirituality, and, and even with your physicality, even with your eating, we can be a seed of holiness in this world. And there's no doubt, says Rechaim Vital, that if a person conducts themselves with this kind of intentionality, and mindfulness all the time, that they could become like one of the angels and know everything they desire, provided they constantly dwell upon this and attach their thoughts to this concept, it's all dependent on their power of focus and that their attachment to above should not waver. You know, um, one of the great Hasidic masters of the third generation of Hasidus, the Rebbe, Rebbe Limelech Milizhensk, writes in something called the Tzetzel Katan. It's printed in the back of his Sefer on the Parsha, the classic Noam Elimelech. In the Tzetzel Katan, Rav uh, Melech Milizhensk describes a meditative practice where a person is lying in their bed and they imagine a pillar of fire, he describes this quite vividly, a pillar of fire extending from their head directly to Shamayim. Or as Yaakov you know, said, that there is a ladder that connects all of us, that connects the seed of our intellect, where our soul is, that connects that to God above. And Rechaim Vital is saying that, that this, is, this, is the, this is the sine qua non of spirituality. This is what we're looking to get to. With perfection of midos, with constant dwelling on our activities in this world and making sure that everything we do when we interact with the teller at the bank or when we talk to somebody online or when we deal with customer service or when we're in shul and, or, or, or in a million, or when we're dealing with our kids in every activity, in every area, when we pause... And when we think about our midos, and we look for that golden road, and we look for not just the golden road, but how that golden road works for us based on our own natural proclivities, to know ourselves first. So that's how we follow the mesilas yishar and the path of the upright. We walk upright, and we imagine ourselves as, as constantly mindful, dedicated, and focused on godliness. We could become like one of the angels. And, and, and Rechaim Vital says something beautiful. He says, Ladas is kol we could get to the point of true wisdom, to know all that there is to know. And this manifests, and I believe this with every fiber of my being, that those who are close to God, and I've met individuals like this, I've been privileged to come into contact with individuals like this, who, who, who try to live their lives this way. And the difficulty of this should not be understated. People try to live their lives this way and are mindful at all times. And you have to have some degree of harchava, you have to have, or sacrifice, some degree of expansiveness or sacrifice to be able to live life like this, you know, especially when you gotta pay bills or you, know, you have to wake up early for kids or you have to change diapers or everything. But, but people that live like this and, and there's, it manifests in a kind of holy intuition, it manifests in a kind of deep wisdom 
that if, if you open up, for example, Sfarim, you know, I'm just tossing out one because I was reading it before Rav Hutner, for example. Rav Hutner was an American Rosh Yeshiva, was a gadol, was a genius of Machshava as well, Yeshiva Chaim Berlin. Uh, his discourses are published in the Sefer Pachat Yitzchak. You read Rav Hutner's advice to students and his letters, and you see deep wisdom, you see the kind of knowledge and understanding 50, 60 years ago that is only replicated now by experts in particular fields of psychology and in particular fields of, of social work and understanding of the human soul and, and understanding of, of our man's predicament in this world. Sadiqim, people that, that focus on godliness and do this, Ladas is Kalashiyirtsi. You can know all that there is to know. You could have the ability to understand all there is to understand about people and about God's world. Now, <laughs> this is really hard work. I'm gonna share um, I'm gonna share with you that I'm gonna share the next source in a moment, but this intense focus and that narrow path really that needs to be navigated at all times and in all doings here, it brings to mind the charge of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov to his student, Rabbi Nassim, a very famous one. He says, The whole world is a very narrow bridge, and the main thing is to not be fearful. And I think before a person embarks on this kind of, they resolve to themselves that they're going to live life with this kind of mindfulness and intentionality, it could be quite daunting, it could be quite scary, it could be exhausting. I could never do something like that. This narrow bridge, you know, Rabbi Nachman, you're talking about any number of things over here, but in the description of Chaim Vital, in the description of the Rambam, the path, the narrow path, the constantly changing path that we need to follow in order to attain this level of attachment and knowledge of God, it could be seen quite daunting. It is hard work to stay on the golden path when life's pressures and challenges come into focus as we raise our heads from the text. And to be clear, this concept of the mindful, ever-focused and totally balanced life is already presented in the classic Jewish teachings as well. Now, sooner than probing for the Aristotelian roots uh, of Maimonides' writings on this topic, we could turn to the wisest of all men for a second. Let's take a look at Sefer Mishlei. And this is in Sefer Mishlei, Perek Dalid, Pasuk Chavzayim. So Sefer Mishlei, so you just have to look at what Shlomo HaMelech has to say about it. Shlomo HaMelech says, Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. And we have a commentary of Rav Yitzchak Arama, the Balha Keda, uh, who is a 15th century Spanish Bible exegete. He wrote a commentary on Proverbs called the Yad Shalom, an interesting name. And he writes in the Yad Shalom, explaining this pasuk, turn not to the right, nor to the left, remove thy foot from evil. He says, what does this mean? Be careful in your intentions, and in the things that you do and your focus and the way that you think about this world, be careful with these things. So he says, This is excess and lack in the spectrum of character traits. Sometimes a person might have too much anger and sometimes a person might have too little anger. Right? Sometimes there are places and there are things that are worthy of anger. 
however, I, I, sh- I should hasten to add that anger is unique. It's a bad example because when the Gemara in Sota discusses the character trait of anger, uh, one of the deos uh, says, uh, sorry, not anger, it discusses, okay, uh, gava, discusses arrogance. So certain traits, um, there is no median. There is no golden road that there is, you have to be marchik betachlis harichuk. You have to be completely distant from that trait because the trait is so offensive, because the trait is so venomous and poisonous that the only answer, the only way to be is just completely distanced from it. So gava, there's one opinion, Marzutra, who says in the Gemara and Sota that no, gaiva, arrogance, is absolutely no place. One of the opinions there in the Gemara says, a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, should have echad mishminis, they should have an eighth of gava. There's a kind of kinesofrim, a scholarly competition, or the holy gava, the gava, the kedusha of a person who represents Represents Torah should have that they uh, we say about David Amelech for example that David Amelech found his heart was uplifted not arrogant Khalila but he was uplifted he was mitnase that he uh, wrote, raised himself up above others in the ways of Hashem that we'll leave that discussion maybe for another time when we discuss the individual midos right now we're still speaking in generalities but he says Yisron v'chisaron sometimes we do things to excess. And sometimes we do things uh, too little. So I would say, for example, in, um, in, in chesed, right? somebody that has too much loving kindness, so they might uh, give away too much of their money. You know, there's halacha. You're not supposed to spend more than a fifth of your, of your net worth on, on mitzvos, right? There's a limit to what you should give. There's a limit to how giving you should be. And you have to also make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your own family first. And sometimes it's too little. Sometimes a person's a constant. Sometimes a person's stingy and has too little of that trait. So that's I'll take the aminu small. Don't go to the left or to the right. And if you do that, you should stay on the hair's breadth in that middle road. And that I thought was support the way that the Balakeda calls it a chuda sa'ara, right? The golden road is not this wide thoroughfare. It's not a six lane highway. It's a narrow dirt path on the, on the side of a mountain uh, with a cliff beneath you and, and rocks and crags above you. That's the kind of road we're talking about. It's still golden because it's the proper one, but it's not as wide as we think it is. And there's much room, constant calibration, constant sense of finding my footing that allows us to be successful in this. Now, we also find this, of course, in Perkeavos. We did this two Shabbosim ago. Two Shabbosim ago, in the second chapter, in the very first mission of Perkeavos, we find Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the third century editor and compiler of the Mishnah. So he writes in his opening statement, What is the proper upright? There's that straight upright word that we're looking for. What is the derech yeshara? What's the straight upright path that a person should choose for themselves? So Sepharia, a translation that I used over here, some of these I translate on my own. Some of these I use translations available on the internet. So he says, one which is, Tiferes here is translated as honor for the person doing it. And on account of it, on account of doing things in this way, so you see that it gives you honor from other people. Now, other people translate teferet as splendor, but this is a notion of finding that mean, that golden path between the two extremes, Yeminu Smol, that's what Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi tells us is the path that we should choose for ourselves. Now, Maimonides writes in his commentary on the teaching, 
So not in the Shmona Prakim, which is the introduction, but in the actual commentary, he references the golden path in his commentary on Ezui Derech Yeshara Sheyivor Loa Adam. And he says this is the golden path, the Derech Haim Sai, that he was speaking of in Shmona Prakim. Other people call it the Derech HaMelech, the king's path or the queen's path, right? And he says it's interesting, or Derech Hashem, the path of Hashem. It's interesting to me that the word Teferis, uh, that the Rambam is dilating on, that he's, intemper- that he's interpreting as his golden path, um, that is personal character that is not in one extreme or another, but constantly torn and pulled and, and, and tensed and informed between these two extremes. So in Kabbalah, the Sphira, and the Rambam wasn't a Kabbalist, the Rambam didn't know of the Kabbalah. So in, in the Kabbalah, so the Sphira or divine manifestation of Teferes is the golden mean synthesizing Chesed and Gevura, Chagat, and mediating between the array of Sfirot. Um, I wonder if I can pull up a picture to show you what I mean. Uh, the Sfirot sometimes, um, let me see if I could show this to you. Marechet has Sfirot. So the Sfirot we mentioned are manifestations, of course, connected to, uh, connected to the, these months, connected to, uh, connected to, connected to, Sphiros Omer to the counting of the Omer. So here, let me let me show you a rudimentary Ma'arechad Hasphiros. This is what it looks like actually. And this word, this word Teferet in the Mishnah that the Rambam is interpreting as the golden path happens to be in Kabbalah also a golden mean also. So here's the ten Sphirot. Can you guys see this when I'm sharing on my screen? Yep. I hope you can. So here's the top Sphirot. Sev Chachma Bina. And then you have chesed, loving kindness, gevura, is the act of withholding and, uh, and, and keeping something within, uh, very roughly. And between them, holding these two together, navigating that tension, is the golden mean, is teferet, is splendor, which the Rambam sees as the derechaim tsai. So kol teferet lo se, we should always look to follow that, that nuanced, that special, that special place in between those two extremes. I, I thought that that's an interesting um, coincidence between the Rambam's interpretation of Teferis as the middle path and Teferis the Sphira also being the middle path as well. And finally, we find this stunning and jarring metaphor in the Jerusalem Talmud in Mesechet Chagiga, Daftet and Aleph, Mishnah Aleph, in the Halach Aleph, in the Yerushalmi. So Yerushalmi says, HaTorah Hazu, this Torah is likened to two paths. One is in the sun, and one is in the snow. So he says, If you deviate to this one side, so you're going to burn in its heat. If you stay there too long, you'll die. And if you lead to the other side too much, you're going to die in the snow. You're going to freeze. Mayase. What should a person do? You should go in the middle path. Now, all of this is to say, um, all this is to say that indeed uh, the Rambam is advocating for an idea. The Rambam didn't make up this concept of laleches b'chol drachav and walking in God's path in this way. The Rambam didn't make that up uh, out of whole cloth and the Rambam didn't make that up uh, wholly based on Aristotelian philosophy. There's many people that 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 looked and saw 
um, that, that saw Aristotle and Greek philosophy, and t- truth be told, in, in Buddhism there's a golden road, in Islam, in the Quran there's a golden road, in philosophy there's a golden road. The idea is a universal idea. But uh, I read a beautiful essay by Rav Hanan Samet, an Israeli rabbi, uh, talking about this, and he writes actually, um, he writes quite beautifully. Uh, he says that Aristotle based his concept of character traits, uh, his philosophy of character and ethics and morals that a person should have. So, so that got its strength or that found its compass and its anchor in things that were agreed upon uh, socially and things that are societally agreed upon. Everybody would agree that a particular trait is a good trait and a particular trait is a negative trait. That's where the basis of Aristotle's philosophy was. And he writes that the main idea was to bring a person towards Osher, towards a degree of happiness, towards a degree of, of joy and satisfaction with life, the optimal way of living life. And to base this idea that the optimal way of living life is to find the good in all good things and to stay away from bad things, so Aristotle found these particular behaviors, for example, the golden road, and said this is what a person should adopt in order to find that kind of happiness. However, the Rambam says, Rav Samad, and make no mistake about this, even though there may be superficial affinities between the Rambam is saying uh, in his commentary on the Mishnah, in the Mornevuchim, in Hilchasteos later on, and in Shmona Prakim that we saw, even though there might be affinities to Aristotelian philosophy, at the end of the day, the departure point and the main path of the Rambam's thoughts about this topic are based on the concept that we learned in the Torah, the mitzvah aseh, the positive commandment of v'halachta bedrachav, of going along God's path. Nothing else informs the Rambam's adoption of ideas like this golden mean in living the optimal Torah life. And that is, that is the mitzvah that the Rambam is referring to. And we see that the Rambam didn't need to, to, to to borrow this idea from Aristotelian philosophy. Rather, this was something that the Rambam used. Uh, this is something the Rambam used based on classic Torah sources like in Perkyavos, like the Yushalmi, like in Mishlei. Uh, that's where the Rambam is, um, the, the Rambam is, is getting it from. So, so that, is, that is an amazing concept in the Yushalmi. Now, it's really important to remember how complex this work is. In the opening editor's notes to a collection of his father's writings on the Midot, Rav Tzvi Huda Cohen Cook, who edited many of his father's writings and put out a sefer called Musar Avicha, the Musar, the ethics of your, of your father, uh, ethical teachings, literally referring to his own father, Rav Cook, the elder. Sir Tzvi Huda was born in 1891. He died in 1982. So he writes that although our work, in his editor's notes to that, he writes that although our work is to completely eradicate the obviously negative and bad character traits in us, we must also be careful. Because he writes, for every good trait brings along negative qualities as well. That's how tricky this is. This is really hard, tricky stuff. And Maimonides cautions us in Shmona Prakim, which was, by the way, a favored work of Rav Kook the Elder and even appears in a very prominent way on the curriculum for Rav Kook's imagined yeshiva, uh, the planned universal yeshiva, Yeshivat Merkaz Harav in Jerusalem. Uh, we have from his student, the Nazir, a list of the curriculum. Shmona Prakim is a main part of that curriculum. So he says, uh, the truth is, is that, is that even, even, even positive even positive character traits need to be judged. They, uh, they need to be performed and carried out with the same degree of focus 
as well. Now, we understand how difficult and complex this is because we also understand that the middle, this so-called middle, is actually a mirage. And as we all overcompensate or decompensate in innumerable, infinite ways across myriad character traits, accounting for our natural proclivities and spiritual makeup. Instead, we find ourselves in a pitch battle at times, rooting for the better angels of our nature. According to the anonymous author of the Musar classic, Orchot Sadikim, uh, which was published around 1440, we don't know who the author was, sometimes mindfulness regarding character development feels like walking around with huge scales of judgment and justice all the time. The author writes in his introduction to the Sefer, and the Sefer is beautiful in that he systematically presents classic character traits and brings us pretty much all of the, the, the fundamental Torah sources on it. Listen to what he says. There are certain character traits that we need to use in all areas. I would say silence, for example, is a really good character trait. To not have to say things all the time, to not have to prattle endlessly about everything. We know that silence is a really good character trait. There's many, many times and many, many places that silence would be a good character trait to adopt. And there are certain character traits that a person should use sparingly or are called upon to use sparingly. Therefore, as a person embarks on this work and measures how much of each trait I need to engage and what, what aspect of my personality traits should I express at a given moment or in reaction to certain stimuli in life, so we, we weigh and we take the proper amount of each one. It's a very exacting science, a spiritual science. This way, a person can reach uh, utter goodness. So if you'll permit me, we're going to finish off tonight with a little bit of halacha lamasa. We're not going to read it all in Hebrew because it's two halachot from the Rambam, but practical halacha lamasa Practical halach from the Rambam. This is the Rambam in Hilchos Deus. This is now in the Mishnah Torah. In the Rambam, Rambam, the very first volume of it. So the Rambam tells us uh, about uh, how to think and how to live life. And the Rambam says a person who carefully examines his behavior and therefore deviates slightly from the mean is called pious. Right? That's the siag. That's the gate. That, uh, that, that's that's the, the fence and, and the precautions that especially pious people are not going to be satisfied with the middle because they know what a dangerous place that is to be and how easy it is to fall. So they might, they might, be, called, they might be called pious because they're erring on the side of caution to always have good traits and to not fall into negative extremes. What does this mean? What's implied over here? One who shuns pride, for example, and turns to the other extreme and carries themselves in an extremely lowly way, they're called pious. Now, we shouldn't make ourselves anava. Humility doesn't mean making ourselves into a shmata, making ourselves into a doormat, but we do find certain people that they know how easily this particularly pernicious character trait is and how, how easily it, 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 it creeps up on us and could damage us and can ruin us and can throw us to be'er shachas, to the deepest pits, right? We say, Jealousy, tava, desire, and kavod, and seeking out honor are things, three totally... Are, are terrible character traits that are motzinadmanolim. They can remove us from the world. The Mishnah Berakiyavos tells us, Ayin Ra, right? A negative outlook on life. 
Ma'avir nesad the olam can remove us from this world. Something we learned this past Shabbos and Shul. So, so the people who are going to say, I know it's an extreme, but I'm going to conduct myself in this extreme because I'm so worried about failing in this behavior. That person's called pious. That's the realm of, of, of unique, rarefied individuals that can handle that extreme. Even though the Ramam is telling us the extremes are bad, but it's in the service of keeping oneself away from the negative side. And this is the quality of piety, erring on the side of caution. Lifnim Yishurasadin, we call it, within the letter of the law. However, if he separates himself from pride only to the extent that he reaches the mean and displays humility, it's called wise. Might be a little bit harder to do, but this is something that's attainable by all of us. Wise, wisdom comes from mindfulness, comes from focus, comes from intentionality. And we conduct ourselves with humility that, that, we, that we know before we speak or before we do or before we react to something. We say, how come my seat was in the second row and not in the first row? Or how come this person invited them and didn't invite me? So when we display humility in that area, so then we're called wise. This is the quality of wisdom, and that's something we can all do and can all apply to our activities. The same applies with regard to other character traits as well. The pious of the early generations would bend their temperaments. They would conquer their will and their natural instincts and proclivities from the in- intermediate path towards either of the two extremes. For some traits, they would veer towards the final extreme. For others, towards the first. Sometimes too much and sometimes too little all in the service of God. So sometimes we see that this golden mean is anything but, but rather a guidepost, a sign, a way in which we should orient our lives, a way in which we measure our activities to be wise, hopefully, but even sometimes to be pious, to be a chassid. And this is called behavior that is beyond the measure of the law. We're commanded to walk in these intermediate paths, on the golden path. They are good and straight paths, as Deuteronomy, as the Pasuk told us, and you shall walk in his ways. So now we understand walking in Hashem's ways means imitating God's character traits and doing so in a way of wisdom and perhaps at the end of the day, piety that could bring us to an understanding and attainment and attachment to God. We'll finish off with this. And this is what our prophets call throughout Tanakh, that they refer to God in anthropomorphisms. Right, slow to anger and abundant in kindness. Tzadik v'yashar, righteous and just. Tamim, perfect. Gibor, almighty, v'chazak, and powerful. Of course, God transcends all of these descriptions. We really cannot describe God with any human language. God is beyond the ken of our language. But nevertheless, the prophets didn't desist from using descriptors of God. The reason that they use these descriptors is to teach us what the traits are that we should follow the golden path on, what the traits that we should emulate are in order to know the path, the derech hayasha she'yivrolo'adam, the proper upright path that we should choose in the world and that we should be on the golden road in. And they did so to inform us. These are the good things that we should follow. We must, we are enjoined to conduct ourselves at all times throughout our lifetime in these character traits. And this eventually allows us to resemble God to the extent of our abilities. So we're going to pause here. And I want to thank you again for coming.